When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode nine, and we are recording on September 22nd. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hello, Sharifa. Hello. How are you? I am very glad it's Friday. <laughs> Super I <am> glad. <laughs> this has been a weirdly long week, but I've been really happy because it's really, I know, I know weather isn't very fun to talk about, but I am thrilled about autumn. So I've been really excited to see rain. And this is my first time experiencing seasons changing. <laughs> right, because so. LA does not have seasons. True. Yeah. So I'm like, what is this? It's like magical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had like a brief taste of fall here in Philly, but it's supposed to hit 90 on Sunday. So my flannel is not, mm-hmm. it's not time yet. It's not time yet. No, I guess not. Alas. Well, speaking of things that we're excited about, I am very excited to tell everyone that we have a new podcast called Recommended, and I cannot wait for you all to listen to it. Um, I'm going to drop in our teaser episode for it, which is like a minute or two long, uh, into this episode. So you'll get to hear a, a sort of sneak preview. But by the time you listen to this, there will be four whole episodes live. And some of the current ones and future episodes have authors that we talk a lot about on this show. So you are definitely going to want to listen. And this teaser is particularly relevant to your interests if you're listening to this. So enjoy. I think that the great American novel for the 21st century has to be science fiction to some degree. And I think that's because America is a science fictional country. I think it has been for a long time. And so you have to be able to talk about the future. You have to have a, a rigorous vision of the future. If you're just sort of dwelling in the past and, you know, turning the same stone over in your hands, you know, again and again and again, I think you can do interesting work that way. But um, it's not the Green American novel. I am convinced that is the real Green American novel for the 21st century. Um, I will not be satisfied until... People are reading it in school and writing about it because I think it has everything to say about America, um, its past, its future, and yeah, it's fantastic. Okay, so now that we have heard that (laughs) wonderful piece of excellence. (laughs) I'm super excited for this show too, by the way. I have heard the teasers and some some other stuff. And I am so thrilled. I'm so glad we did this. Yeah. Yeah. I get, I've been working on it and I get to interview a bunch of the authors who we talked to and that's super fun. Um, All right. So do you want to tell us about our first sponsor, Sharifa, and then we'll get stuck into some news? 
Sure thing. So our first sponsor is Retrograde by Peter Codron. And uh, so this is about the international team at the Mars Endeavor Colony. They're preparing. They're prepared for every eventuality except one. What happens when disaster strikes Earth? Mankind has long dreamed of reaching out to live on other planets, and with the establishment of the Mars Endeavor colony, that dream has become reality. The fledgling colony consists of 120 scientists, astronauts, medical staff, and engineers buried deep underground. They're protected from the harsh radiation that sterilizes the surface of the planet. The colony is prepared for every eventuality except what happens when disaster strikes Earth. This sounds really thrilling and terrifying. I'm always a little bit hesitant to get into the on the planet claustrophobia stories because they just <laughs> terrify me personally, but it sounds really interesting and it I mean we talk about adaptation so much and this totally sounds like something that could be adapted for a movie or a film. So again, that was Retrograde by Peter Codrin. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show. All right. So let's see. Our first news story that we are going yeah, to Yeah, what dis- do you want to talk about? Yeah, I want to talk about Dracula. That's <laughs> what I want to talk about. Yeah, this is an interesting one. And I know I remember hearing the story about um, Bram Stoker's relative. Do you want to talk about the do you want to intro this one or do you want me to do it? Yeah, yeah, I'll I will do this because I've been I can't I can't stop thinking about this. So so the story is that Bram Stoker's like great great something grand nephew um, is writing a prequel. I guess it's just his great grand nephew. It feels like yeah. Bram Stoker should be farther back. Than I that. know. Anyway, he's <laughs> he's writing. It's like anyway, he's writing the first authorized prequel to Dracula, which is based on research into like original versions of the story as well as apparently some family legends and so they 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 claim that there are 102 pages very specific 102 pages missing from the original draft of Dracula and that he says only 17 of them have been found which was published as a short story called Dracula's Guest by Bram Stoker's widow um, in 1914 and then uh, and and so they have apparently this guy I Dacre yeah, I was just trying to think of how to pronounce that De- I'm going to call him Decker because yeah, yeah, I don't know how to that. say that. Uh, he and um, uh, J.D. Barker, who's his co-writer, have, like, picked over the original manuscript and notes and journals to, like, figure out what else might be missing and then, like, have are writing it. Um, and and I haven't read his sequel to Dracula, so I don't, I don't know if he can write. And then this also feels like shades of, you know, Christopher Tolkien to me. Like, I did read... Baron and Luthien, and it, it wow. just feels very academic. Like, it feels very much like a piece of scholarship about Tolkien's work rather than a narrative. And that's not... It's interesting, but it's not, like, a compelling narrative read for me. So I I, I feel I feel very confused. <laughs> what do you think about this? I'm the same way. I, I looked up the sequel to Dracula that Dacker Dacre wrote and it was also written with a co-author and I don't know sometimes I feel like with these things where it's somebody who is genetically related to somebody else 
I can't help but think like genetics do not a writer make necessarily. Mm -hmm. And I know that sometimes it just feels a little forced. So especially since he's a great grandnephew, it almost feels like I'm I'm always excited about a Dracula story, and we've both professed our love for mm-hmm. the Dracula story, but there are certain times when something like this comes up and I get a little, which is hilarious because I'm not in any way related to Stoker, I get protective of the Dracula <laughs> story. This guy's his great-grandnephew, so, you know, I'm sure he feels a sort of protectiveness about the story as well, but... I just don't know if this is something I can get that excited about. I know it's exciting to find new documentation and new stories from uh, Stoker about Dracula. And I'm almost more interested in like, can I just see those notes and things? Mm, and like, yeah. can you do that? Can can you just post those online and I can like <laughs> riffle through them at my at my leisure? But with this sort of thing where he's going to write a, a new story. And I know it's authorized, but that sort of doesn't mean anything to me. (laughs) I'm just like, I don't know, shrug shoulders. Right, right. You are a human shruggy. I mean, I I might pick up the sequel that he wrote just to see um, out of, like, curiosity. Uh, So, and then if it's good, I will be interested in the new one um but but yeah i don't know side note mm-hmm. true story when i was a kid and was going to summer camp and i have been gullible all my life for the record i've always <laughs> been gullible but there was a girl in my cabin one summer whose name was karina stoker and i was like oh my god you know i was 12 i was like oh my god are you related to Bram stoker and she was like oh yeah totally and like proceeded to tell me this story about how they had the original like manuscript of dracula and it was just like sitting on their kitchen table and it had a coffee cup stain on it because her dad was like spilled coffee on it one time and i was like i believed her for like three days i like i <laughs> literally i mean she was not related to Bram stoker that is the most hilarious the but most I, adorable hilarious i know <laughs> tiny jen was like so excited about the idea that like you know somebody had seen and touched the original manuscript and there was a coffee stand i can't even anyway but first that's of my, all i'm impressed that that girl knew who bram stoker was <laughs> and secondly that she was able to come up with that story well, I can't have been the first person she said this to, That's right? True. Like that sounds like a thing that she tells people, perhaps. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Karina Stoker, <laughs> if you're out there, <laughs> maybe she's a great storyteller now. Maybe, maybe. But yeah, I felt very, I felt very let down when I realized she was not being truthful. <laughs> oh no, I'm sorry, young Jen. <laughs> I know, I know. I, there, you could sell me a bridge too if you want. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be so cruel, and I am also not the person to sell anybody anything. I'm as gullible <laughs> as well as you, so I totally understand where you're coming from. Excellent. Do you want to talk right. about um, Peter Jackson's adaptation? Oh yes, let's talk about that. Yeah, so. Peter Jackson is adapting a series. It's a young adult post-apocalyptic. They called it dystopian here, but I don't think that's actually what it is. Um, Post-apocalyptic sci-fi series. And it was a bestseller. 
And of course, he's giving it the old Peter Jackson touch with, I'm sure there's going to be some CG and it's going to be, you know, very cinematic. Um, but so it's set in a post-nuclear world, uh, post-nuclear world where cities are mobile and aggressive. And Reeves describes the setting as retro-futuristic and very Englishy, which made me think maybe Terry Gilliam might have also been another good director for this. And Reeves actually does mention that Gilliam's Brazil was an influence, mm. along with Tolkien, which makes sense for Peter Jackson. I, I have to confess, every time I think about Mortal Engines, all I can think about are, one, Baba Yaga, right? The house uh-huh, on chicken yes. feet. But two, <laughs> have you seen the Monty Python sketch where they're corporate raiders, but they're like, the buildings are flying and they're cor- like they're pirates and they like fight other buildings full of Wall Street broker types? No. Have you ever seen? It's an amazing sketch. Is it, it's from a sketch show. Yeah. I've yeah. mostly watched the movies, but man, that's sounds hilarious it's so good i can't remember if it's from flying circus or one of the movies but it's i mean it's just this bananas like flying buildings and guys in ties like wielding swords at each other and it's it's so ridiculous <laughs> and that's what every time mortal engines comes up like monty python is what i think about <laughs> well i think you're probably not that far i mean this guy sounds like he's totally the sort of person who watched monty python true, sketches true. and so i would I wonder if maybe he did get some of that influence from that. I was I kept wanting to say Mortal Instruments, which is a completely different right, that's a series. Different series. <laughs> I had to like tell myself multiple times, don't say Mortal Instruments, or else people are going to get like all sorts of, you know, excited that Peter right. Jackson is adapting those books. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm curious though. I mean, it's a cool concept in the books, and you know, Peter Jackson. I have I I feel some kind of way about the <laughs> the Hobbit trilogy, but like the Lord of the Rings was super good, and I've seen some of his other movies, which were also excellent. So I, you know, I think I think this could be a good team up. Yeah, yeah, I feel like uh, with Peter Jackson, sometimes I I love Peter Jackson. Sometimes I feel like he needs some editing and he needs to maybe <laughs> step away think? from the CG Perhaps. machine. <laughs> Perhaps, yes. Mm -hmm, Maybe. (laughs) But I love him to death, and I'm I'm definitely going to be one of the people sitting in the theater watching this movie, because the idea of a moving city, first of all, like, how can that not be visually stunning and Mm -hmm. so, so weird? So, I don't know. I'm kind of, like, you know, low-key excited about this one. But will you read the books first? Probably not. (laughs) I'm being honest with everybody. Probably not. (laughs) I am not super, like, strict about that stuff. I might occasionally pretend to be if I've had a few drinks and somebody's (laughs) being really bossy about it. (laughs) But realistically, I don't care. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Um, Okay, I want, I really want to talk about the new Terminator movie with Linda Hamilton. Oh my god. I was like I I am fangirling. When I saw this news come out, I was like, it's everything I've ever wanted. (laughs) So I have seen all of the Terminator movies except for Genesis, I believe. I'm pretty sure that's true. And I am a huge fan 
of the first three in varying ways. Like, and, and number three, really, because I once did a talk on Kristana Loken as, like, you know, cyborg, murderous cyborg lady. Wow. Um, so, yeah, so <laughs> I, th- I spent a lot of time thinking about TX. So, you know, I mean, I mean, the movie is not nearly as good as T1 and T2. But anyway, I love the Terminator franchise. I love the Sarah Chron- Chronicles. Um, I And Lindsay Hamilton is, like, it's amazing that she is coming back because you don't get to have action heroes of women of her age in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Like, it just doesn't happen, right? She, yeah. I, it, you never see it. And she is just so, I, I don't even know if I can use this word, but she is so amazingly badass like Mm -hmm. I I just I can't even like when I saw her as a kid I was like I want to be this woman she is like ripped and she is ready to beat somebody up she's so awesome and I was also glad that she's coming back on board yeah yeah I I I mean I get it like some of the movies have not been great um Mm -hmm. and but you know what The concept is so cool, and, you know, I, like, singularity is such an interesting thing to play with, and Skynet is, like, such a cultural touch point. Like, I, I'm not saying they should make them forever, but if they do, I will keep watching them, like, if I'm being completely (laughs) honest. I mean, I did watch Terminator Genesis, and I thought it was, since I'm already being kind of curmudgeonly, I thought it was a soulless movie. I fell asleep during it. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) But it's funny because I am also so invested in this franchise that Mm -hmm. there was nothing in me that made me think, well, maybe I shouldn't watch this next one. I was like, yes, I'm going to watch this next one. So I'm, I don't know, I'm still like really excited about it. I agree that there is a lot of uh, playing around you can do with the concept. And they did say that they're still doing the time folding thing with Mm -hmm. this next one, even though they haven't like disclosed exactly what the plot is going to be or even what Linda Hamilton's role is going to be. Um, They said that they're still going to do the time folding thing. And they're also looking for an 18 something woman to be the new centerpiece of the story. But like Linda Hamilton and Schwarzenegger are going to be, you know, the anchor points for it. So I'm not worried that they're not going to have uh, big roles in this movie. Obviously, they have to have huge I, roles I mean, in this I, movie. <laughs> I will. I will write some strongly worded letters. If, you, it, <laughs> if if she's in it for like five seconds, oh boy! But I can't imagine that they'd be dumb enough to make such a big deal about her coming back and then not have her be a main character, right? Like that's 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 just not smart. That's that would be preposterous. They Pre- every a lot of people would have had to like had a moment where they were out of body to make a decision like that. So it's going to be, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I can't wait to talk about it once we actually see it. Oh, same. It's like two years from now. I know. (laughs) Or three possibly. Who knows? Who knows what kind of world we'll be living in. Maybe it'll be like the Terminator. (laughs) Oh no. Oh no. Sharifa. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm totally kidding everybody. I mean, it's you never know when Skynet is going to hit. You just we, don't know. Yeah, we are in the business of speculative fiction. That's right. It's our business to never know. <laughs> <laughs> 
Where should we go next? Let's see. Oh, I this is one I'm really excited about, and I just saw this recently. It's it's fairly new news. Um, Showtime is making a comedy series written by and starring Jessica Williams as a sci-fi writer in Brooklyn. And I I hadn't known very much about Jessica Williams, but then I read uh, Phoebe Robinson's memoir, You Can't Touch My Hair, Mm -hmm. and Jessica Williams writes the foreword, and I was like, who is this hilarious, (laughs) smart woman, and how do I learn more about her? And then, of course, I went on to, like, you know, nervously try to read my book stacks, and I never got around to really getting into it, but when I saw this, I was excited, first of all, that it's about a sci-fi writer, and the first thing I thought about um, was, is Jessica Williams, like, tapping N.K. Jemisin on the shoulder, like, because N.K. Jemisin is a Brooklyn sci-fi writer, and, like, can you give me the inside scoop on, like, what is, what is it like to be a sci-fi writer living, an aspiring sci-fi writer living in Brooklyn? N.K. Jemison is not aspiring anymore, but she was no. obviously there before. Right. And if there will be cameos by sci-fi ooh, writers. Ooh, oh, my goodness. Oh, man. I'm, like, jumping around. Your headcanon is so good for this, though. <laughs> I I mean, I'm familiar with Jessica Williams from The Daily Show, her clips on The Daily Show. Um, So... I think this is great. I also, the other thing that I'm wondering, since she, she's, like, this is her concept, right? She's writing it. Yes. And she's going to star in it. Does that mean that maybe she is also working on a sci-fi novel that we will one day Ooh. get? Like, how autobiographical is this? Because I would read the heck out of a Jessica Williams written sci-fi book. Like, I'm I'm here. My body is ready. Like, bring yes. it. Yes. <laughs> it, would, it, it would have to be, like, I would picture it as being, like, a comedy adventure sci-fi, which I really, I would love, love to read an adventure comedy sci-fi by a black writer. That is, mm-hmm. like, what I am looking for in life right now mm. is that. And that is a, that is a really good theory i hope you're right because i didn't even i didn't even consider that but it is odd that of all things she could have chosen to depict it wasn't like a comedy writer which would be the obvious choice it's Mm -hmm. a sci-fi writer so why or maybe maybe she's like a super fan right maybe she loves sci-fi and this is her homage to her favorite writers like there's so many ways it could go but i i need to know more i need to know i need to know Uh, yeah i'm hoping as we go along like more news will come out about this because what what's available out there right now is very brief because Mm -hmm. it sounds like it's this just came into being so Mm -hmm. i'm sure we'll hear more about it and i'm going to be like hunting down the news and hopefully some of our theories are correct because i think they're all (laughs) super super exciting (laughs) yeah we're we're super good at the theories today (laughs) we are Uh, by statistics statistically speaking at least one of those should perhaps come true we have thrown so many out there i like that math yeah (laughs) all right um, so I am going to talk about our second sponsor now, and then we're going to talk about our book picks. And I am particularly 
like pleased to be doing this guest spot mm-hmm. because our theme for today is short stories. And our second sponsor is a short story collection by Lee Bardugo. It's The Language of Thorns, which is her, uh, it's a new set of adventures set in the Grishaverse. So if you have read her Grisha trilogy, you are definitely going to want to pick this up. It is an atmospheric collection of short stories with betrayals and revenge and sacrifice and love. It is also good for new readers as well as dedicated fans. Um, The stories in Language of Thorns will transport you to this fully realized world of dangerous magic. Um, She is, as you probably know, a number one New York Times bestselling author. And uh, it is, her her stories are really deeply rooted in folklore and magic. Um, Amanda, who is our managing editor, is a huge fan Mm -hmm. of the Grisha books. And she's been pestering me for actual years to (laughs) read them. And the only reason I haven't is just time constraints, right? Like people already know and love them and I have so many other things to read. But this might be the book that I start with since it is an introduction to the universe, um, whether you're already a fan or not. So if you are excited about the Grishaverse or if you're just curious, you are going to want to pick this up. It also has artwork on every page and a really gorgeous cover. So if you're looking for a gift for that friend who's a huge Bardugo fan, this is also one you want to have on your radar. So thank you again to The Language of Thorns by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring the show. I'm right there with Amanda. I am obsessed. <laughs> obsessed. Lee Bardugo is so good. I'm right? probably going to read this too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, why would you not read it, right? Yeah. It's the Grishaverse. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's talk about our books. And as you mentioned, we're talking about short stories today. And this is one of those ones where I was like, yes, I know which books to choose. So I was very excited about it. Um, And my first pick is The Djinn in the Nightingale's Eye by Biat. Is that how you pronounce her last name? I'm not sure. It's actually by it. By it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So um, I read this a few years ago and I own some books where I'm I'm like, what compelled me to buy this book? And I can't for the life of me come up with an answer. And I'd never heard of uh, Bayat when I picked up the story, but maybe I was looking for fairy tale retellings and fell down some sort of Google rabbit hole, possibly. But that's basically what this is. It's a kind of collection of fairy tales for adults. And some of the stories are familiar and some of them are not, at least not to me. And the title story, The Gin in the Nightingale's Eye, is by far the longest, and it's at the very end. Um, and I'll be honest with you, that, that story was not necessarily my favorite, but I loved the fairy tales in this story. Um, like fairy tales, the stories are really brief, and unlike some fairy tales, they carry so much weight and mood, and reading them really took me back. It was kind of like being a kid again, even though I did just say this is like fairy tales for adults. It, I feel like you could almost read this to a child and the child would actually enjoy it. It's like 
the wording, the prose is really beautiful and different, but it still has that sort of simplicity you get from fairy tales. And one of my favorite stories was the story of the eldest princess because I really like stories about underdogs and journeys with really strange characters you meet along the way. And this is a story of the eldest sister of three princesses who sent on a journey to find a cure for this green sky that suddenly plagues the kingdom. So she accepts this mission and she heads out to find, you know, your usual inexplicable mythical solution. And among the things she gets to take on her journey is a sword and an inexhaustible water bottle. And I was like, if you have to go on a long, potentially dangerous quest, you really should have those things. <laughs> and <laughs> it's another story where it's very simple, but the prose is so meticulously crafted. It's just like magic. And if I had a Snuggie right now, I'd be quiet on the end of this line, bundled up and enjoying this book because it has that sort of cozy sentiment. But my absolute favorite story in the collection is a weird one. It's called Dragon's Breath, and it's about a village surrounded by mountains and the villagers' tall tale of the great worms that dug these channels into the mountains. And the three characters in the story, Harry, Jack, and Eva, are more afraid of boredom than they are of these campfire tales. But one day something terrible happens and they face a myth come alive. And it turned out to be a really deeply meaningful story. And when I read it at the time of my life, um, the way I was living my life, I guess, it really spoke to me. And I found I bookmarked a bunch of pages from this very short work, especially toward the end, because it just struck a chord in me. And it's just an all-around gorgeous collection of stories. So if you love fairy tales and retellings, you should really read The Djinn in the Nightingale's Eye by A.S. Bayat. All right, so I saw the agenda, obviously, ahead of when we were going to record, and when I saw that Sharifa had picked <laughs> an A.S. Bayat collection, I immediately started, I was like, Sharifa, Sharifa, I'm going to text you a picture and send her <laughs> this picture of my A.S. Bayat collection, because she has three books of short stories. Um, one is called Elementals, one is called The Little Black Book of Stories, and one is The Jinn in the Nightingale's Eye. And they issued them in these beautiful, like, tiny gems of hardcovers. Uh. Um, they're, like, small-sized hardcovers. They're so beautiful. And I have them, like, very, like, deliberately displayed on my bookshelf. <laughs> um, and I just was freaking out because I, I, you know, she's not very popular. I mean, she wrote Possession, which got made into a movie and everybody knew about it. But then you don't really hear about her past that, and she's an all-time favorite of mine. So, yeah, I was super delighted by that pick. Um, and also it was funny because for my fantasy short story collection, well, mostly fantasy, I picked The Gin Falls in Love and Other Stories, by uh, edited by Mavesh Murad and Jared Shuren. So we have some nice, like, you know, Thematic. accidental t title res resonance going on there. Um, but this col this collection came out this year, and I thought it sounded interesting, and so I picked it up, and it was one of my favorite reads of the last six months. It's just 
amazing. Um, all of the stories involve a djinn in some way or another, but the editors made a big point of letting the authors pick like the story tradition, even the spelling of the word djinn. There's a couple of variations, um, and they really wanted to let the authors, who like are from all corners of the world and all different kinds of sci-fi fantasy writing traditions, really make the concept their own. So however they decided to do that, they they did it, um, and it the the collection is just amazing. One of a couple of my favorite stories um, really stuck in my head, and one of the first ones uh, is called "The Congregation" by Camila Shamsi, who we have been hearing about because she is up for an award. Um, which now escapes my brain because I forgot to look that up ahead of time. But anyway, hers is the first full story in the collection, and it's about a boy who, um, or a young man rather, who sort of wakes up in the middle of the night and he lives near the mosque and he heads over for the dawn prayer um, and he encounters a congregation of inhuman people praying. And the story kind of unwinds from there, and it's so beautiful and heartbreaking and sad and but like and really deep oh it's so deeply felt I like I'm thinking about it I'm getting I'm getting teared up again all over again um and it's just like this beautiful so simple but so well done and then there's a story much later on in the collection called bring your own spoon by Saad Z. Hussein um which is sort of like a, it's a little more sci-fi. It takes place in a future where, um, it takes place in, in a future where, like, nanobots are sort of controlling the air pollution, but you have to have enough people in a certain area to, to get enough nanobots in the air to, like, make the air breathable. So, cities are like very deliberately overrun um and there there's this horrible like class structure where they're basically using the poor and the homeless as like technology to keep the air clean for rich people um and the main characters are sort of making this very diy restaurant um where and in this world food is very scarce um good food is very scarce you never know what you're going to be eating but you don't have a lot of money so you end up scavenging um so they're kind of doing this diy restaurant and the authorities find out about it and it just like all kind of goes out from there and so there's a real range in this collection but i i like there's not a bad story in the bunch and there's so many authors who I hadn't read before but have been meaning to or authors who are completely new to me there's also some really amazing authors um, who we have read, like Neil Gaiman and Eddie Okorafor are mm-hmm. in here, um, as as is um, Maria Devana Headley, who I like a lot. Um, I mean, it's just, oh wait, no, is she in this collection? Anyway, there's a <laughs> lot of people that you will recognize, and it's a really good collection, so I highly recommend that you pick it up. Um, I will say also that there was an issue with the first printing where it opens with a poem in English and Arabic, and apparently the Arabic is wrong. So if you can get... Yeah, they were supposed to fix it. So if you can get a later edition, please do so. But again, that's The Jinn Falls in Love and Other Stories, uh, edited by Mavesh Murad and Jared Shuren. I'm sorry to break the gin theme here, I know, but we were doing so well. <laughs> I know. But 
my next pick is definitely not, um, it doesn't have any gins in it, but I feel like I talk about Nalo Hopkinson a lot. We talked about her last episode so about good. her upcoming. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not ready to apologize for talking her up so much yet. So of course I picked a Hopkinson collection of short stories and it is falling in love with hominids. And my copy was actually gifted to me by a fellow writer, which makes it sort of extra special. I know. (laughs) So the stories themselves are also super special. Hopkinson is one of those writers who seem to, she seems to like seamlessly dance with both fantasy and science fiction. And you get both in this collection. There are 18 stories total. And as with any collection, they vary in tone. And at one moment, you'll read this like a harrowing, heartbreaking story about children who go feral when they grow up and transform into something not human. And then the next you'll be reading a sort of prosaic story about a missing fire-breathing chicken named Emily Breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) That was the cutest story. (laughs) And like the search for her in this really highly unusual small town. And if you're one of those people like me who occasionally thinks children are creepy, there's this story. <laughs> the, it's called Message in a Bottle. And that story will heighten your anxiety about children. That's one of the sci-fi stories, too, actually. And other than the story about feral young adults, another of my favorites is this tale about a bunch of ghosts that are trapped in a mall and their fixation on experiencing things again because they can't, like, touch or they have no sensations. So, like, the very idea of somebody being able to smell even the faintest trace from the Cinnabon stand could drive (laughs) them all wild. And in the background, there's always this ominous sense of the unknown, like what's what'll happen if you step out of the door of the mall, like nobody's ever seen again what happens to them. And it made me hope that when my time comes, I will not be at a mall. Although like, <laughs> if, you, if you have no sensations, I don't know where would be a, a better place. There is probably no good place for that. <laughs> for being dead. Um, But one aspect of this book I really delighted in is the inclusion of intros where Hopkinson has a little chat with the reader about the story's inspiration. And the first time I encountered this where I really loved it was uh, with Octavia Butler's The Blood Child and other stories. Mm. And I just love, there was something about getting that little bit of a behind the scenes glimpse into her thoughts and her process that I was just, I, I just wanted more of that. So when I saw this, and I know that um, Hopkinson is really influenced and inspired by Butler, so I'm sure she came across that too. Um, And sometimes in this one, it's a one-sentence deal. Sometimes it's a paragraph. But I love getting anything, any sort of perspective. And for instance, one of the stories was inspired by the mundane act of mishearing the arrival of a train on the speakers, where the announcement sounded much more ominous than it should have been. And in another, she writes about how she read a comment made by Kelly Link, another prolific writer, who wrote about, like, fairy tale heroines always seeming to have trouble with their feet. And the story that follows that intro, Left Foot Right, 
is another really creepy one and one that's about like the sororal bond, which seems to be a major theme in Hopkinson's work. Um, And she's definitely not afraid to get dark. I used to love those horror shows and movies where it felt like you were watching short stories in action, like Tales from the Crypt and Tales from the Dark Side. And I got that same like cozy, creeped out feeling from this collection. So if that sounds like something you'd also like, that was Falling in Love with Hominids by Nalo Hopkinson. She's so good. She's wonderful. (laughs) I had a hard time picking my second collection because there were so many that I wanted to talk about, like Ted Chang and um, Ken Liu and Kelly Link and just like there's so many. Um, But when I was trying to think of especially especially sci-fi short stories that have really stuck with me, it reminded me of the first short story collection I ever read by Ursula Le Guin, which was The Wind's Twelve Quarters, um, which actually has like a griffin and a like a magical cat on the cover. So you wouldn't have. Yeah, it's very good, but you wouldn't necessarily peg it as a collection that contains like amazing, you know, sci-fi per se, but it's a really incredible collection. Um, it has this story, Semley's Necklace, that feels like it's a like an old Norse folktale, but then turns into like an interplanetary like mission, sort of. Um, it has this collection. Uh, oh, it has um, The Ones Who Walk Away from Omelas, which is one of her most famous short stories for very good reasons um, about a society in which like everything is wonderful and great all the time because one person has been selected to feel all of the suffering that everybody else was supposed to be feeling. Ooh. It has, yeah, it's really intense. <laughs> if you hadn't, have you not read that short story? I have not. Oh boy. Oh boy. Well, oh okay. <laughs> I'm giving you homework. Okay. Sometime in the next like month, try to get, try to get yourself a copy. Cause that story is bonkers. It gets like taught in schools now. Um, It's also got this story, The Day Before the Revolution, which sort of precedes um, one of her novels in an interesting way, but it's a very good standalone. And it's very much about, like, socialism and anarchy and, you know, politics. But the the story that's the one that I have never been able to get out of my head is called Vaster Than Empires and More Slow. And it is about like a jungle world and an and a mission of you know people from a different planet to that world and it is so strange and surreal mm-hmm. and just like it like gets into your brain and i don't want to tell you much more about it than that um but yeah and it, the the collection also has fantasy stories in it that are wonderful um but for me for this collection in particular they, it's the sci-fi ones that stood out when I read it the first time. So yeah, that, that took me down. Like, you know, I have some real memories bound up with reading this collection and it was really cool to think about those as I was prepping for, for the show. So that's The Wind's 12 Quarters by Ursula Le Guin. There's something about her writing that just seems perfect for gray, gloomy weather. Like we're going to eventually have oh yeah one day (laughs) one day (laughs) it's very sunny here right now i know (laughs) i mean i will read ursula Le Guin in all seasons in all locations in all times i will read her she's (laughs) this is true 
She's great. <laughs> um, all right. So we have one last thing that we want Yay. to tell you about, which is Lit Chat, which we made uh, with Abrams Notary. It is a game because we know that the only thing that readers like as much as reading books is talking about books with other readers. So this is a deck of cards. Well, a set of cards is more accurate. Um, it's not like small playing cards. They're nice, big, hand-sized cards uh, that invite you to explore your own reading habits and experiences. Um, imagine yourself through the lenses of characters and stories. It's a great thing to bring to a book club or to do with your best friends or your family or in a classroom. Um, so the cards will help you shed new light on your reading life and bring you closer to your fellow book lovers. Um, and you can pre-order your own at bookriot.com slash litchat. But to give you an idea of what the cards are like, there's all different kinds of cards. There's like cards that are about your reading habits and there's cards that are about, you know, book-related memories and milestones. Um, there's ones about your opinions. And then there's these choose-your-own-adventure cards. And Sharif and I decided that we wanted to play a couple rounds of that on the air. Yes. So, Sharifa, what card did you pull? Okay, so my card is one morning you open your closet to discover that it is actually a portal into the world of one of your favorite books. <gasps> Which literary world is it? Oh, man. How to pick. <laughs> How to pick, though. <laughs> I know. I thought that th there would be, like, an obvious one, but... Hmm. But it's hard when you read a lot of science fiction and fantasy. There's just, <laughs> just like worlds upon worlds. Okay, so let's see. Obviously, the first thing I think of is Narnia, but I don't actually want to go to Narnia. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not – I don't want to go to Narnia. Um, I think – that I, and and so many of my favorite worlds in adult sci-fi and fantasy are like horrible places that you should not go. That is the problem <laughs> because you will die. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna go with Fairyland from Cat Valenti's "The Girl Who Circumnavigated Fairyland in a Ship of Her Own Making." That's where I want to go. That world is so playful and like referential and funny, and there are real problems, but they're like. Not the kind that are like gonna leave you like bloody and you know dead on the, on first arriving. <laughs> so yeah, I, that's what I'm going with. I feel like a lot of people would agree with you on that one. That is that is, it's so whimsical. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with whimsy. No, no. I was about, I was gonna think like, are, is she gonna say? Because my immediate thought, which is so ob it's painful and it's horrible obviousness but i was like i'm going to the wizarding world yes of course of course <laughs> and of i course. was like that's kind of a lame answer <laughs> like i mean <laughs> if that's where you want to go it is, as long as things are settled right mischief managed then i will go <laughs> otherwise i don't want to like fall under fall prey to like you know some sort of horrible Voldemort spell. Right, so. right. You don't want to get like imperious cursed or anything no, like that. No, no, thank you. But no. I'd like to go. I'd like to go to Hogwarts if I could also turn into a child again. But now I'm getting greedy. <laughs> now I'm getting greedy. <laughs> what was your question? <laughs> All right. My question this is a good one. If you could live in any house within a work of literature, what would it be? Ah, and it's, and you, it's funny that you mentioned Hogwarts because my first thought was like, oh, well, 
Hogwarts, but Hogwarts is a school, not a house. Yeah, so that's I disqualified true. it based on the fact that it is a school and not a house. I mean, you could go to the Weasleys' house, but then it's just like, oh, here's a bunch of bric-a-brac I see at the thrift store every day. <laughs> like, it's true. Oh, that's it's not true. fun. <laughs> no. Do you have where? Where would you live? I, this is sort of bleak and weird, but I would totally want to visit Castle Gormenghast from the Gormenghast series, which is like a very dark, weird, it's so strange. It's a fantasy series, but it's, it's such a strange series. And Castle Gormenghast is like this sprawling, gothic, horrible structure, but there are so many weird characters in the building. And so many weird things that happen just in this castle. I feel like it's one of those places where you open a door and you're suddenly in the middle of this bonkers plot. And (laughs) I know that we get tired after a while, but it sounds (laughs) momentarily thrilling. And there are some horrible things that happen later on that would make me want to run out of there before before the end of a story. But... (laughs) But that is where I'd go, Castle Gormenghast. Do you nice. have a pick? Well, so it's going to sound really obvious, um, but okay. it's Bilbo Baggins' Hobbit Hole. Oh, I man. would love to live in a Hobbit Hole. I yes. would make a super good Hobbit because I snack all the time. Like, I am on board for <laughs> second breakfast and elevensies and whatever. Um, I love the idea of, like, living in a hill because I, I love plants. And I think it would be really cool to be, like, to have your house be part of a structure that also has things growing on it like that's amazing and also I even have this is just for you listeners I even have slightly hairy toes so <laughs> I feel like I was really destined to be a hobbit it, that is totally your realm I it, mean, is. it is I would visit all the time <laughs> I would not visit you for the rest I of <laughs> I'm not going okay. anywhere near Castle Gormenghast <laughs> It's oh, all right. I guess okay. You have to go to New Zealand when I, oh man, I oh, think I they know. took the hobbit holes away. Rebecca went and she sent me a picture of her and her husband Bob standing in the hobbit hole. And it turns out uh, that Rebecca literally is hobbit size. <laughs> like she fits <laughs> in the doorway perfectly. Oh, and wonderful. Bob is very tall. So it's just a very, it's like a very like Frodo and Gandalf, you know, sort of mirror image, except it's Rebecca and Bob. <laughs> this is the most delightful way to end the show. I know. <laughs> Maybe we'll just do this every week. <laughs> it's super fun. I'm really enjoying I I had to take a, a bunch of photos of the lit chat and I was just sitting there like reading all the questions. It's really, really fun. Yeah. Well, so reminder, go get yours. It's bookriot.com slash lit chat. Um, thank you so much. Oops, that's your line. Just kidding. That's okay. It's it's totally fine. We all share here. Yes. Well, as Jen was saying, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening. <laughs> and be sure to um, email us if you want to talk about, if you have any suggestions for themes or 
If you have any feedback, you can email us at sffyeah at bookriot.com. And please review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find us. And we'd love to hear from you, of course, if you want to send us your feedback that way. Um, you can also find us online and chat us up. I- I'm usually on Instagram. That's my happy place. You can find me at Williams. That's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. And I'm on Tumblr mostly these days. It's jenirl.tumblr.com, and that's Jen with two N's. And until next time, happy reading. Yep, happy reading. Happy reading.